What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Today, we are going over a Superflex rookie ADP list, and we're going to talk about the guys that I think are great picks, the guys I think are horrible picks, and the ones that, you know, I have no opinion. I think it's a pretty average, pretty even pick. So, obviously, we're talking Dynasty right now because it's a rookie draft, and then we are going to be doing a super flex full PPR. That's pretty much the standard for dynasty formats at this point. So that's what we're going to be going with. And at first overall, Trevor Lawrence is always being taken. What do I think about this pick? I think it's chalk. Just it's easy. Make the pick. Don't overthink it because he's got mad weapons. He's on a team that's going to ask him to throw the ball a lot. And he's a talented dude. So great recipe for success there. He also can run the ball. Boom, lock it in. First overall, Trevor Lawrence. I like it a lot. But now we have our first debate, and we'll have many across this podcast. But the first debate is Trey Lance versus Justin Fields. Who do you want as your QB2? It seems to be that right now it's 50-50. Half of the drafts have Trey Lance as the second quarterback off the board, and the other half have Justin Fields. So where do I line this argument? Honestly, I think it depends on your team. Trey Lance is probably, I'll say, less likely to start this upcoming season. Justin Fields is more likely to start. If you need somebody right away, right off the bat, Justin Fields is probably your dude. Here's the thing. Both of them have great rushing upside. Trey Lance's is a little bit better. But Justin Fields, he's the more polished passer than Trey Lance. So it kind of will even out in a way. Plus... Justin Fields' offense is not as bad as everyone thinks. Let's make a comparison here. Justin Fields reminds me a lot, and not in terms of play style. Some people like to say that, but it's more of a situational and fantasy impact comparison here for me. Justin Fields could be very similar to Deshaun Watson. If you guys remember, Deshaun Watson had a pretty rough situation. Even when he had DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, that was pretty much all he had. The running backs were usually pretty bad. Duke Johnson was the best running back it seemed like they ever had unless you think Lamar Miller was better and and David Johnson definitely was not great but they had Hopkins they had Fuller okay that was nice Kiki Kuti was always hurt the third receiver was always hurt never had any consistency there and the offensive line was always horrible and yet Deshaun Watson because of his legs and his arm strength and ability to create when there was not something there was very good and very consistent for fantasy football. I think we could see the same thing here with Justin Fields. Justin Fields is going to run the ball a lot like Deshaun Watson. He might not have the best supporting cast. Deshaun Watson still produced when DeAndre Hopkins left. And he just had Will Fuller. He was still great for fantasy. So Justin Fields is somebody I don't want you to overthink because of the fact he's in Chicago and because... Their offensive line is actually not bad. Their offensive line is probably about average right now. But just because Allen Robinson is probably going to be gone after this year, maybe not. Maybe he resigns because they might not have a true 
number one stud wide receiver or because they have a defense that's really good and it's not going to make him throw the ball a lot. Now that is a good point, but because of the rushing ability of Justin Fields, he's going to stay fantasy relevant even with a good defense backing him. So even if his pass volume is lower, his rush volume will be there. So that's why I like Justin Fields. Trey Lance, let's talk about him. He's got a great supporting cast. He's got Kyle Shanahan, but he has a bigger chance of busting just as an NFL prospect in general and also for fantasy football. Now, for fantasy, as long as he's starting, kind of like Jalen Hurts, he's not somebody I think is going to be a tenured quarterback when it's all said and done in the NFL as a starter, but he's good for fantasy because he runs the ball. I think Trey Lance will be good no matter what as long as he's playing. The question is, is will he end up developing into a starting quarterback that can hold a job in the NFL? I think he will. I really like Trey Lance, but it's less likely, in my opinion, than Justin Fields. So Fields is the safer pick, and he's probably the pick more likely to hit the field earlier on in his career. So I would take Fields at two, but I do completely understand Trey Lance at two because he has more upside because of the rushing and because he is by far the best running quarterback in this class, and he would probably be the best rushing quarterback in the NFL after Lamar Jackson and maybe, maybe Kyler Murray. But even if Kyler Murray is a better runner, Trey Lance still might outproduce him because he might do it more often. So that's the first debate right there. But that's basically one through three. It's Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Every single time, those are the first three picks off the board. Unless there's somebody who's like stacked that quarterback and takes Kyle Pitts or Najee Harris or something really high. But usually that's the ADP there. Now we have a next, our next grouping from four to seven. We've got Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and Zach Wilson. So I have no problem with the first three picks of those quarterbacks we just talked about. And I have no problem with any of these picks next, but I do think there is one that's kind of concerning. Najee Harris is usually the first one taken off the board in tight end premium leagues. It's usually Kyle Pitts. Najee Harris is going to be in a situation where he's getting mad volume for a team that likes to rely on their defense and their run game with an aging Big Ben. So I think Najee Harris will be very good this year, but I pose this question to you. If in the future, let's say Big Ben retires after this year, if Najee Harris is the running back there, two of their receivers are gone. So let's say Juju leaves because he's on a one-year deal. And let's say, you know, one of the others between Deontay Johnson and James Washington, one one of them is gone. Now that offense consists of, we don't know at quarterback, Najee Harris at running back, a average at best offensive line, and... Only two receivers on the outside, Claypool and whichever other receiver ends up staying. And then you got Pat Fryermuth, but he's a tight end, and we know they take a long time to develop, and all of those things. So that all of a sudden becomes a really bad situation for Najee Harris. So for this year, I think it's really good. And in redraft, I'm all over Najee Harris this year. But as that situation deteriorates and receivers leave and Big Ben is gone, all of a sudden... He might be the focus of every defense when they play. And if Big Ben retires after this year, guess what? Unless the Steelers are going to mortgage the future and trade up for a quarterback, they're not going to have some highly touted rookie quarterback in the building that's going to help Najee Harris, like a Trevor Lawrence or a Trey Lance or Fields. Plus, this quarterback class this year is way better than pretty much any quarterback quarterback class we have seen in a while, just from college grades. So... Next year, we're looking at maybe, you know, three quarterbacks that have good potential instead of what we had five in this one. 
So it's not realistic to think that the Steelers are going to have some big-name quarterback next year to help out Najee Harris and keep the pressure off of him. So for dynasty purposes, I do think that's one thing to consider with Najee Harris. And if you're trying to pick between him and Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, that's a good reason to pivot. But nevertheless, he's going to get a lot of volume. He's going to be great because of it. And he's going to get used in the receiving game as well. So no matter what, he will be fantasy relevant. He'll be very good. I just don't think he'll be as good or have as good of an opportunity as he does this year in his rookie season. Now we have Jamar Chase at five. Jamar Chase, I've already talked about the target like the target availability in that offense because A.J. Green left, Bonnie Bernard left, John Ross left, Alex Erickson left, and there's almost 200 targets available from last year. And they're probably going to throw more this year than they did last year because that's what they were on pace with with Joe Burrow. Once Joe Burrow was out, they started throwing the ball a lot less. So with Burrow back, Jamar Chase, lock him in. He's the clear wide receiver one. He has the best landing spot out of the top tier wide receivers in this draft class. So no problem with that there. Completely agree on Jamar Chase going that high. And then we have Kyle Pitts. I would take Kyle Pitts as the first non-quarterback off the board because tight end is the most premium position in fantasy football. Think about it. Every team has to start a tight end. Let's talk about a 12-team league. That's also what we're using here for this ADP because we're going to go to 48 picks deep. And I will get faster as we go on. Don't worry. It's not going to be like a two-hour podcast. But Kyle Pitts is going to be an elite tight end. Most of us agree with that statement. How many elite tight ends are there? There's George Kittle, Darren Waller, and Travis Kelsey. That's pretty much it. TJ Hawkinson has a good opportunity this year to become one of those, but that's only four tight ends outside of Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts hopefully could become the fourth or fifth if TJ Hawkinson also pans out. Now, every single team has to start a tight end. Every single team. And when you're talking about tight ends that finish... 5 to 12, they're all pretty much just as bad as the other in terms of fantasy football. But then you look at the top tier tight ends and there is a huge gap. I do something during the offseason called VORP. It's value over replacement player. It's a equation that I made basically comparing if I start Travis Kelsey, this is an example. If I start Travis Kelsey every week in my tight end spot, versus all of the other tight ends that are left, since I have Travis Kelsey, obviously he can't be included in the equation. If I start him against your tight your tight end, the average tight end for everyone else in the league, how many points am I getting as an advantage per week? And I do this for every position. Tight end by far is the absolute most crucial position in terms of value over replacement, VORP. And that is how you win your fantasy matchups. Because if I have Travis Kelsey and you have, let's say, Evan Ingram, and Travis Kelsey drops eight points more on average than Evan Ingram, I have an eight-point advantage over your team. Now, let's say you have Christian McCaffrey and you have Saquon Barkley. Those are super stud running backs, right? Let's say I have you know more in the RB2 range like uh, a Joe Mixon and... Antonio Gibson. I actually think he's going to be an RB1. That's a conversation for another time. But let's say those are my two running backs. You would look at your running backs and say, man, I got him beat here massively. Not really, because if you look at the value over replacement over your two running backs versus mine, you're getting between both of those probably about a six point per week advantage compared to mine. And I'm getting eight on you with Travis Kelsey. So you need to find those elite tight ends. And Kyle Pitts can be one of them. 
I really believe he will be one of them, especially in that Atlanta offense. We haven't even talked about that at all. Julio Jones is probably going to be gone after this year. He might be traded after June 1st. Who knows? I don't think he will be, but it's possible. And if he is, Kyle Pitts might be one of the first rookie tight ends to have like a 90 plus target excuse me, target season in a very long time. So I'm not saying I expect him to massively produce as a rookie, and that's part of the reason I think he's kind of in this grouping and not the clear-cut first guy off the board after quarterbacks, but that's how it would be for me because I understand the value of the tight end position. Plus, tight end lasts a lot longer in the NFL if you're talking longevity over running backs, and it's pretty close to wide receivers, but tight ends on average last a little bit longer. So with that said, that's Kyle Pitts. And then we have Zach Wilson as the last guy in this group. These four guys get mixed around in ADP all the time if you look at your drafts, but usually this is your four through seven. Zach Wilson, to me, carries very, very low upside because he doesn't run the ball and he's playing for a defensive-minded head coach. As that team develops and as they build that defense over the course of time, because we're talking dynasty, Zach Wilson is not going to be asked to carry the team on his back. He's not going to be asked to throw the ball 40 times a game and because he doesn't run the ball his fantasy output can be very very capped so that's something to consider with Zach Wilson but he is the clear fourth quarterback I would take him over Mac Jones because you're dealing with the same thing with Mac Jones he also doesn't run the ball Zach Wilson at least runs a tiny bit so that's a slight advantage over Mac Jones plus Zach Wilson has pretty equal weapons but he has a live arm Mac Jones's arm is good and he's accurate, but he's not as exciting and doesn't make as many big plays as Zach Wilson will. So that's why I have Zach Wilson over Mac Jones, and I think everyone else agrees. Now we have at 8, 9, and 10, and 11, I would say, the next grouping. Devonta Smith, Travis Etienne, Mac Jones, and Javonta Williams. Devonta Smith is somebody that's very interesting because he's with the Eagles, with Jalen Hurts. They play together. They also just drafted Jalen Rager in the first round last year. They've got Dallas Goddard there with Zach Ertz leaving. How are they going to use him? No matter how you chop it up, chop it up though, Devonta Smith is probably going to get a good amount of targets. The question is, is how many? Because if he's getting an 80 targets season, it's probably not going to be super great unless it's 80 targets and they're using him like a Deshaun Jackson and all of those targets are 15, 20 yards down the field. Then he could have a super good season, but he would be unreliable on a week-to-week basis. But overall, throughout the season, he would do pretty well for you. Or they could target him like a Justin Jefferson, give him like 115, 120-something targets, and all of a sudden, he's like a clear-cut wide receiver one for that team. He's getting enough targets to be reliable from week-to-week, and he ends up being a stud. I think that that's less likely because of his, I know, Some of you guys are going to hate it, but because of his body type, I don't think he's going to carry the workload of eight targets per game because quick math, that's a 128 target season on a 16 game season. So now since it's 17, it would be 136 targets, but I'm just going to keep things simple and we're going to talk about 16 game seasons because that's what we know how to understand. That's what we've always been analyzing and looking at. So Devonta Smith, he's got good upside, but I don't think it's as good as everyone else seems to think. I don't think he can become like a top 10 wide receiver, top 12 wide receiver for fantasy. Travis Etienne and Javonta Williams. Let's talk about these two guys because every time I'm on the board, I'm splitting hairs. I am, I've already had two drafts 
in this location of the draft where I was at like pick nine or 10. And I had to choose between Etienne or Javonta. And I took Etienne once, one time. And in the other draft, I took Javonta because I think they're both, they they have clear cases to be better than the other, but either one could work, obviously. So Travis Etienne, right? He was drafted in the first round. He's got a fifth year option. So he's going to have five years with the Jaguars. James Robinson is under contract for two more years. Now, if they traded James Robinson, Etienne would fly up drafts. Fly. I'm talking he would probably be taken before Najee Harris. It would probably be Travis Etienne at ADP4 if James Robinson gets traded. And that is a possibility that exists because Urban Meyer has no ties to James Robinson. Now, if they keep James Robinson for both years, then Travis Etienne is, this is probably too high to take him if they keep James Robinson for two years, because then you're only getting two years plus the fifth year option on Travis Etienne in fantasy. And, you know, who knows what your team looks like at that point? Who knows if Travis Etienne is banged up or whatnot? So, that's also a reality that exists, unfortunately, for Travis Etienne. That could be very bad. Then we have Javonta Williams. So we know the upside for Etienne is huge. RB1 in this class. But the downside is he could be outside the top five if James Robinson and him really do split carries. And then they still have Trevor Lawrence that runs the ball a little bit. And they have plenty of wide receivers to pass the ball. So that they might not have to run as much as you need to have two good, decent running backs in fantasy. Now we have Javonta Williams, who I think it's a more stable, it's a more clear situation, right? He's going to split this year with Melvin Gordon. You know that's what you're getting. There, I doubt Melvin Gordon is going to get moved off of the Broncos team. That's not going to happen. They added a bunch of veterans. Their team is loaded right now. They're trying to make a, root, a move for Rodgers, which would completely make them a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion, because they have one of the most stacked rosters all the way around outside of quarterback. But... Without going on the Rodgers tan- tangent, Javonta Williams, he's going to split this year with Melvin Gordon, and then after that, it's smooth sailing. He's somebody I compared to Doug Martin, the rookie Doug Martin, the prime Doug Martin. If you guys remember, he had the nickname of Muscle Hamster, and then he changed it because he didn't like that to Juggernaut. Um, it was Juggernaut, right? Man, it's been a while. I miss I miss my guy, Doug. I'm actually looking right now at a signed picture of Doug Martin in a Bucks uniform that I have in my room. But anyways, Javonta Williams is very, very good. And he plays similar to Doug Martin. I think he's going to have a similar impact. Lots of volume, decent receptions, not anything crazy, and good red zone work. And he's going to do it on a team that has Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler as weapons on the outside. And I know a lot of you guys like Seth Williams, who was just drafted, and Albert Ogwebunam, who was drafted last year, who played with Drew Locke. So he's going to have so much room to work with because the defenses cannot just focus on Javonta Williams. And he's also playing on a team that has a great defense and always, always has a good defense. And when you have a running back that has room to work because he's not facing stack boxes and he's going to get lots of volume because they have a good defense that keeps them in games and he's not going to get game scripted out in the fourth quarter or mid-third quarter, that's a recipe for success. So I love Javonta Williams. The only thing is, is he going to have an opportunity this year to be a stud? Travis Etienne has that possibility because maybe they move James Robinson. There are plenty of teams 
not plenty, but there's a couple teams that could use him. <clears throat> Atlanta. Atlanta. Somebody call Atlanta, please. Send James Robinson to Atlanta. That would be a dream come true. But nevertheless, that's Javonta Williams. I see the argument for him and Etienne. Then we also have Mac Jones in this grouping. So Mac Jones, we're talking super flex, low ceiling, but he's kind of similar to Zach Wilson, just a even lower ceiling and just as low of a floor, both Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, I could see becoming busts in the NFL. The only two guys I'm sure are not going to be busts are Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Trey Lance has the possibility, but I believe in the system that he's in. And Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, mm, that's a lot tougher. That's a lot tougher to analyze. So that's why I think their ADP is lower as it should be. Mac Jones, I'm fine with at 10. Back of the first round, that's cool. Devonta Smith, going back to him now to give my opinion on the picks, I think eight is too high. I would not take Devonta Smith over Travis Etienne or Javonta Williams. No, thank you. And I don't even know if I would take Devonta Smith over Jalen Waddle, who's in the next group. But if he's in like the back of the first round, like you're talking 11, 12, that's, I'm fine with that. But all the way up at eight, that's too high for me. And then Javonta Williams at 11, I love it. Travis Etienne at nine, I'm completely good with that too. Now we have Jalen Waddle at 12, Rondale Moore at 13. We've got a wide receiver group right here. Rashad Bateman at 14 and Elijah Moore at 15. So this back end of the first round, top end of the second, is Jalen, Rondale, Rashad, and Elijah. Jalen Waddle's my favorite pick out of these four, and he's the first one that's off the board. And that's pretty much always the case. Usually you don't have somebody taking one of those other guys above Jalen Waddle. He's playing with Tua. He has an opportunity to be a high-volume guy. It's probably not going to be the way it works out, at least early on in the beginning. But if he's staying healthy and he's showing his ability to produce after the catch, he could easily become a high-volume guy in the future. Jalen Waddle is electric. I love his opportunity here in Miami. So I'm completely good with that. And I would actually take him over Devonta Smith, who's getting taken at 8. So Jalen Waddle at 12 is a pick that I love. Then you've got Rondale Moore in Arizona. This one is completely contingent on are you okay with the injury history? If you're okay with the injury history, Rondell Moore is a sub 200 pound guy who squats 600 plus pounds. He squats three times his body weight. All right, I see people freaking out about offensive linemen and defensive linemen squatting 600. This dude is 190 pounds, give or take, and he's squatting 600. He's super explosive. He's very hard to bring down. He's twitchy. And yeah, he's a smaller guy, but we've seen some small guys, like a Tyreek Hill, who is 5'10", 5'9", depending on where you look, be successful for fantasy purposes. And Rondale Moore could be that, especially on the opposite side of DeAndre Hopkins. And with a threat like Kyler Murray at quarterback, that's just a fun offense if Cliff Kingsbury can figure out how to effectively use Rondale Moore. I just took him in one of my drafts. I like Rondale Moore a lot. It's just... If he gets hurt, you can't be surprised. But if you're willing to live with that because he got hurt back-to-back -back in college, then all right, draft him, and let's roll. Then we've got Rashad Bateman at 14. Too high, in my opinion. Too high. There are plenty of receivers after Rashad Bateman that I would draft over Rashad Bateman. There are a couple players in here that I think are massively affected by landing spot Rashad Bateman is the opposite he is one that I don't think is being affected by landing spot too much and he should be now 
Many of you will argue that he would go over Rondell Moore and, well, that's pretty much it. Over Rondell Moore, maybe over Jalen Waddle if he landed somewhere else, and I agree. But that's a two-spot difference. Rashad Bateman landed in a horrible situation. I feel like people are just putting on blinders when it comes to the Ravens offense. Everyone loves J.K. Dobbins. Everyone loves Mark Andrews. Everyone loves Lamar Jackson. Everyone loves Rashad Bateman. I even see people glowing about Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace was one of my favorite guys, and I am not that way anymore. You have to realize this Ravens offense, two or three of these guys are not going to work out. They cannot produce to the level that all of these guys are going to be good for fantasy football. If Lamar Jackson is really good, it's probably because he's running a lot. Guess what that means? That means J.K. Dobbins is not going to be a top five running back for fantasy, which some people think he can be. No. If Lamar Jackson is doing really good, maybe it's because of the receivers, but do we really believe that? Do we Do we honestly, do you truly look at Lamar Jackson and say, yeah, this guy can throw for 4,500 yards and 40 touch passing touchdowns on the regular, not just in one outlier season. I don't think that that's true. And not only is Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace there, you still got Marquise Brown. You still got Sammy Watkins. There's too many mouths to feed for an offense that averages around 450 pass attempts. You break that down per game. Oh, man, I should not have said that. Now I just put myself into a mass situation. Here we go. Uh, that's about, I don't know, 32. What is that? 32 um, passes a game. Not even. I'm going to do that real quick on my phone while I continue talking. Part of the multitasking of being a podcaster. So going back to what I was saying, right? Rashad Bateman is not going to be some 125 target guy because that's not what the offense can produce. And now to just do the math real quick to show you guys what I was saying, right? So, 16-game season, around 400 passing attempts every game. You know what that equals? 28 passes per game. 28. That is so low. That is bottom two or bottom three in the NFL. Usually that's the lowest, but every once in a while there's somebody that does a little bit less. 28 passes. Let's break that down, right? You want to give, what, five? Five a game to, to Mark Andrews? That's pretty conservative. Let's say five a game to Mark Andrews. You've got about three to four a game to the miscellaneous, like all the receivers that we're not drafting and tight ends that we're not drafting and stuff. So let's say four. You've got 19 passes left to go to J.K. Dobbins, Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, Tylen Wallace, Sammy Watkins. That's five guys. That's less than four targets per person. That is not going to be good for fantasy football. Trust me. So... Rashad Bateman is too high, guys. You just got to accept it and move on. He's too high. Elijah Moore at 15, that's basically like right where I think he should be getting drafted. Jameson Crowder's there. Maybe they move off of him this year and sign like a Richard Sherman or just bring in a different vet for that money that they can clear by cutting Jameson Crowder, in which case Elijah Moore has a pretty good opportunity to be good very fast. But it's more off of volume. I was talking with a buddy of mine. Shout out to you because... I know he listens to the podcast. Um, Mr. <laughs> I don't know if he wants me to say his name. I won't say it. But um, I was talking to him about how Jameson Crowder is not a top 20 wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think anybody would argue that. But he's been top 20 in fantasy. You look at his points per game, he's done it multiple seasons. I think Elijah Moore can be similar. I'm not a huge Elijah Moore guy. I don't think he's super good. But the volume opportunity that he has could make him 
pretty good for fantasy. So 15 is fine. 15 is completely where he should be at. Then we've got the next group, and this is the part of the draft that I, I really like. I really like this area. Trey Sermon, Terrace Marshall, Amon Ross St. Brown, Kadarius Toney. Really, it's just the first three. Trey Sermon, Terrace Marshall, Amon Ross St. Brown. Sermon's obviously with the 49ers. They drafted him somewhat high, higher than I actually would have expected Trey Sermon to get drafted. And that's an offense that loves to run the ball. So it's a great opportunity for him. If they invested that much capital, I think he'll probably be their lead back. I think it's fair to say that. And I expect him to do good things. He's probably going to be a back-end RB2 or a flex-worthy player for his rookie season. And then maybe he gets better and better as they go on and as Trey Lance gets introduced into the offense. And now they have to worry about him as a rushing threat. And Trey Sermon can be a little bit more efficient. As long as he's not running as much as Lamar and taking away from you know the actual rush attempts that Trey Sermon gets, then that'll be fine. When uh when Trey and oh they're both I just realized they're both named Trey. Trey Lance and Trey Sermon are in the backfield together. But then we've got Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall should be drafted above. You you guys are gonna hot take this for sure. And I know if this is wrong, you guys are gonna come at me later on with the receipts. But Terrace Marshall should be drafted before Rashad Bateman. I'm drafting him before Rashad Bateman. Terrace Marshall was my wide receiver like six in this class. Rashad Bateman was my wide receiver three. But Terrace Marshall landed in a great spot, and Rashad Bateman didn't. How is Terrace Marshall in a great spot, Brandon? They have Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, but did you know Robbie Anderson's contract is up after this year? Did you know that Terrace Marshall could easily become the wide receiver two in that offense after this year? Did you know that Terrace Marshall was just paired with, most of you probably know this, with his coach from LSU, Joe Brady? who knows exactly how to use Terrace Marshall and clearly loves Terrace Marshall because he drafted him. So Terrace Marshall's in a great situation. He's a big dude. He's probably going to get a lot of red zone targets even in his rookie season. And then he's going to develop a role from there. And he's got decent enough speed. He's got length. He's got size. He's got hands. He's got 50-50 contested catchability. He's got so many tools. And honestly, like, if you just watch him, how much worse is he than the other wide receivers that have come out of LSU? I would argue that if Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase were not a thing, Terrace Marshall would have been drafted in the first round. Terrace Marshall would have went way higher in the NFL draft because he would have been the focus of the LSU offense. So I think this is a great steal at 17 on average ADP. That's mid middle of the second round. I love Terrace Marshall there. And build towards the future. He might not be crazy as rookie season, but then I doubt they re-sign Robbie Anderson. And at that point, you've got Terrace and DJ Moore. That's sick. And we already know DJ Moore's not a huge touchdown guy, so Terrace Marshall has plenty to to eat, plenty on his plate in terms of touchdown opportunity. Then we've got a Monroe St. Brown. Similar to Elijah Moore, it's because of the volume that I like him here. Not as much because of the player. A lot of people had Amon Ross St. Brown as like a top eight wide receiver for them in this class. I did not. He was not even in my top 10. I think he wasn't even in my top 12. So he'll be good because of volume. I compared him to Cooper Cup. Now, Cooper Cup, I think, is better, but Cooper Cup's not like astounding in terms of speed or 
quickness or anything like that. He's just he's a solid route runner. He knows what he's doing. He's got good hands. That's pretty much what Amon Ross St. Brown is. Because if Cooper Cup was like a low volume guy, he would not be that great for fantasy. But if he is what he has been in the past, high volume guy, and gets a lot of red zone looks, then he'll be fine. And I think that's what Amon Ross St. Brown can bring to the table. So I'm fine with him there at 18. Then at 19, we've got Kadarius Toney. This is a tough one for me. I'm not a huge Daniel Jones guy. They've got Kenny Galladay. They've got Darius Slayton. They've got... Kadarius Toney should be their wide receiver too, for sure. Um, Especially once he develops and gets better. The problem is, I don't know how much he's going to get better with the Giants organization. We don't have much evidence of them developing wide receivers. A lot of people were very excited about Darius Slayton because of all the physical tools he showed in the rookie season he had. And then it didn't really seem like he got that much better so, you know, how much are they going to be able to make Kadarius Tony elite? I, I don't think they will be. And I wish he landed somewhere else. So, and I think that's why he's at 19. I think if he went somewhere else, he would be a lot higher. So I think the consensus, the average drafter is kind of in line with the same thinking as me. So at 19, this is pretty late in the draft. It's fine. And if they ever get a new quarterback or if just they start just hyper-targeting Galladay, Barkley, and Kadarius and you know Evan Ingram still can't catch the ball and they stopped throwing it to him and Darius Slayton is just like a backup for Kenny Galladay basically and Sterling Shepard is no longer a high volume guy Kadarius Tony could be pretty good but I think 19 is a fair value so so far just to recap there's only a couple picks that I, I really think are bad that's Rashad Bateman at 14 and it's Devonta Smith at 8 I think both of those guys are going too high and everyone else I've been pretty much on par with. I like it. And I actually think Javonta Williams is a great value at 11. And Terrace Marshall is a great value at 17. So let's continue right after this. What's up, divers? Do you guys enjoy a good workout like me? Well, guess what? I've got the perfect nutrition for you. And that is Built Bar. Go check out BuiltBar.com. Guys, I have tried every single flavor to this point. I've got some rankings for you. Here are my top five favorite flavors that are in the 18-pack, their standard rotation, not any holiday or special event items. My favorite is banana bread, followed very closely by coconut. I really like the peanut butter. That is my third favorite. Toffee almond. Ooh, that's a nice one. And cookies and cream. Those are the top five flavors if you guys want to try them out. If you haven't, why not? Why have you not tried these out yet? These are amazing. I have them after every single workout paired with, actually, their vitamin packs that give you 100% of your daily vitamins. Guys, I'm not even eating vegetables and fruits anymore. I don't need to. I'm getting all of my vitamins and then some in a pack that comes out to less than a dollar a day. Are you kidding me? You're spending more than that on fruits and vegetables. Plus, it takes time to eat that. I'm somebody who thinks time is money. So I just like to mix that stuff into my water. Check out Built Bar. Use my code DEEPDIVE to save 10% off and get the nutrition side of working out added in to the hard work you put in the gym and get max results. All right, so we're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit. Welcome back in. We just did about 35 minutes almost on 19 guys, so don't worry. I'm going to pick it up. As we get deeper and deeper, I'm only going to touch on some guys, and then I'll explain my thought process a little bit more on others. So we've got Michael Carter at 20. It makes sense. It's a fair value. He is there with Michael P. Ryan in New York, and it's very possible that he 
gets a decent workload, and is all right. That's pretty much it, though. I don't see a high ceiling for him. He's not somebody that I was super high on, and it seemed like everyone loved Michael Carter coming up to the draft, and then for some reason, the last few weeks before the draft, the hype on Michael Carter started to die down, as it should have, because you guys know for the longest time, I have not been a huge fan. Um, He was my running back five after Kenneth Gainwell at four, and then obviously the top three, but a lot of people had Michael Carter really high. I think that the landing spot helped dim it down a little bit. I think if he went to like Arizona or a place that really needed a running back, the 49ers, then everyone would love Michael Carter. But the landing spot helped put him where he should be getting drafted at the back of the second round. It's a fair value. Have no con- like no reason to contest that. Nico Collins at 21. This pick is ridiculous. It's <laughs> and and Nate actually just took Nico Collins at like I think uh the first the last pick of the second round. Most of you guys know who Nate is. He he comes on the show a lot with me. I think he, if he listens to this, he's he's going to come at me for sure. But I think that's a huge reach, man. Nico Collins is not a top 10 wide receiver in this draft class for anybody. I have not seen anybody have Nico Collins super high. And all of a sudden, because he went to Houston, who we don't even know who the quarterback is in Houston, just because he went there, he's being drafted at 21. So remember I said Rashad Bateman? was nobody was seems to be concerned about the landing spot, and they should be. This is the exact opposite. Everyone, because of the landing spot, is affecting Nico Collins' draft capital, or like his ADP, where he's being taken, and they need to dim it down a whole bunch. I understand taking Nico Collins over like six, seven receivers that you had ranked above him earlier on before landing spot because he has a better opportunity at volume. But taking him as a top 10 wide receiver off the board in fantasy drafts way too much way too much he is like i said at 21 right now houston could be starting tyrod taylor i'll tell you right now that's not good for nico collins and if they don't start tyrod taylor because we're assuming for this exercise deshaun watson's not playing right if they start davis mills i like davis mills a lot as a sleeper you guys know i did i talked about him a while ago and i've tweeted about him as well but Going to Houston is probably the worst place he could have gone. They, I do not believe in them at all in their ability to develop Davis Mills. He has not had that many reps in college. That's why I was surprised that he even went as high as he did in the draft. I think they took him in the third round. It was their first pick for Houston. And which is also funny because like, I think that's kind of clear what they think of Deshaun Watson if their first pick was a quarterback. But Davis Mills is probably not going to be great (laughs) for anybody and they also still have Brandon Cooks there so it's not like Nico Collins is like the bona fide wide receiver one and they drafted Brevin Jordan who I think probably deserves more targets than Nico Collins um, as long as his off the field stuff whatever caused him to drop to like the sixth round in the NFL draft does not become an issue so I just think that that's a huge reach because of landing spot some of the guys we're going to talk about later I would take all of them well above Nico Collins Pat Fryermuth is getting taken at 22. That's a good value. I think he has good potential, especially when two of the four wide receivers in Pittsburgh leave. He could become a staple of that offense, and he's a good blocker as well. So he will find his way on the field pretty quickly. So I think that's a fair value. I like Pat Fryermuth at 22. 23, Amari Rodgers. Give me this guy over Nico Collins every single time. Are you kidding me? Amari Rodgers is now with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And even if Aaron Rodgers leaves... And they have a different quarterback, whether it be Jordan Love, 
or someone else, whatever the quarterback situation is there, I'm not nearly as concerned as I would be, for example, Houston. Plus, Amari Rodgers, in my opinion, is a much better wide receiver than Nico Collins is. Amari Rodgers is very much like a Debo Samuel. You give him the ball and you watch him do work. And what do they need next to, oh my goodness, Devontae Adams? What do they need next to Devontae Adams? Any Anybody that has any talent whatsoever. And Amari Rodgers is that guy. You, you thought I was going to hit you with some super wisdom. No, it's that simple. They just need some talent across from Devontae Adams. And the person also needs to be somewhat polished because Alan Lazard has some good physical traits. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, fellow USF Bull, go Bulls. That's where I went. He has speed, but these guys are not polished. And they're not consistently reliable. Amari Rodgers is consistently reliable. And you just got to get the ball to him, and he'll do a lot after. He's like a running back playing wide receiver with polished route running skills. So I like Amari Rodgers a lot. I think that's a great opportunity for targets, and it's a great landing spot. Really good fit. I like that. And I think 23 is too low. I would probably be taking him right after the Terrace Marshall, Amon Ross St. Brown crowd. I would take Amari Rogers probably over Kadarius Tony. So I think he should be more around 19. Instead, he's at like 23. Kellen Mond at 24. I'm not going to argue with it. It's a quarterback that the Vikings took decently high. It's a super flex draft. Everyone's always looking for quarterbacks, and he has some rushing ability. I'm fine with that. Davis Mills at 25, too high, because he's not going to run the ball a lot, not as much as some most of the quarterbacks in this class, and he's in a horrible situation. Houston's offensive line is not great. Houston does not have many picks to help start rebuilding that team. They have Brandon Cooks, and that's pretty much it in terms of established offensive players that can do something. Everyone else is rookies Nico Collins Brevin Jordan and it's just it's not a great situation it's it's really not and I think they're going to ruin Davis Mills and he's probably going to end up being a bust and a horrible quarterback because he's going to develop a whole bunch of bad tendencies because he can be playing in Houston so that sucks 25 no thank you here's another guy that I would take over Nico Collins Deami Brown he went to Washington and I very much think he could become the wide receiver too in that offense very realistic. Even if he's the wide receiver three, that's fine. But Curtis Samuel is going to eventually get reverted back to that gadgety player as Deami Brown gets better. Deami Brown is a very good deep threat. It's exactly what they needed in Washington. Both McLaurin and Samuel can function as a deep threat, but they're not very good. That's like that's not their strength. Their strength is not at being a deep threat or winning 50-50 balls. Deami Brown can serve that role perfectly in Washington. And guess what quarterback's at the helm? Ryan Fitzmagic, baby. And you know, you know he's just chucking the ball downfield whenever he can. So Deami Brown, I love it, love it, love it. And once Fitzpatrick is gone, guess what? Deami Brown will probably be the wide receiver too by that point. So I love that pick at 26, third round, great. Tylen Wallace at 27, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to shit on the Ravens anymore. I mean, actually, the Ravens are a very good team. They're very good, and Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback. He's not a great passer, but as a quarterback with all of his skills included in the thought process, he's a very good quarterback, and he deserves the money that he's going to get and everything, and the Ravens are a very good team. But for fantasy purposes, there's too much going on. There's too many mouths to feed. Tylen Wallace is another... 
I guess, fallen soldier from from that from that scheme. So unfortunately, somebody I loved, not anymore. Dwayne Eskridge at 28, another guy going too high. It's solely because he was drafted high by Seattle. Just because Seattle drafts somebody high does not mean they're going to be good. That's the case for every team. But let me tell you, if you look at Seattle's first round picks and kind of their second round picks outside of DK Metcalf over the last six or five years, it's a pretty bad draft. Like pretty bad class if you put those all into like a group and you look at them, yikes. Yikes. Rashad Penny being one that just comes to mind because they're not exercising his fifth-year option. Why does he have a fifth-year option? Because, yeah, you remember, he was drafted in the first round. So, And he was graded as like a third, fourth-round player in that draft class. And they could have easily gotten him in the second round if they wanted, but for some reason they took him there. Anyways, that's another guy who's being drafted too high, Dwayne Eskridge. He's not great. He's just a deep threat. He doesn't do much outside of that, in my opinion. And they've got Tyler Lockett there. They've got DK Metcalf there. There's no reason to believe Dwayne Eskridge is going to do much. Then we've got Kyle Trask at 29. Once again, I understand it. He's probably going to sit for a while, so I would drop him down a little bit more because Brady does have two more years in Tampa because he got extended a year. So Kyle Trask is not going to see the field at least for two years. And who knows if Tom Brady really will be you know, a great mentor. I think he will be, and I don't think there's any concern about it, but we haven't really seen it come to fruition because Tom Brady has has yet to give over the reins to somebody before. So we'll see what happens, but Kyle Trask, I understand. I just, I would move him down a little bit more. Jalen Darden at 30, that's too high. The Bucks have a lot of receivers. Even if Godwin leaves, you're looking at Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. You're looking at Mike Evans and Probably Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller are going to be higher on the depth chart than Jalen Darden. So I think that's pretty high for him. There's some guys after that I would prefer. Kenneth Gainwell at 31, I like that. I think he's going to be used similar to a Naheem Hines role in Philly because they just grabbed the coach from uh, from Indy that used that backfield in that way with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines being the rece- receiving guy. I think you're going to see the same thing with Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders will still have his like some receiving work, but it's not going to be to the extent that we all hoped. And Kenneth Gainwell is probably going to get a good amount of work there, especially because they're receivers outside of Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager. We don't even know how good he is. He was banged up and didn't play a full season, and he's only been in the league for a year. So Kenneth Gainwell could very well be their third best receiver or second best if Jalen Rager ends up being a bust. So... Kenneth Gainwell's got a lot of opportunity to be a receiving guy there. Then Elijah Mitchell, who went to the 49ers behind Trey Sermon. I I mean, maybe him and Trey Sermon are the future of the running back by committee in San Fran, but it's going to take a little while for Elijah Mitchell, I think, to hit the field because they still have their other guys like Raheem Mostert. I think they signed Wayne Gallman and and stuff like that. So Elijah Mitchell, I think 32 is a little too high. There's a couple guys I would take over him. One... I'll just jump down real quick to him. One being Ramondre Stevenson at 37. But Brandon, he's behind Damian Harris and Sonny Mitchell. Yeah, he is. But both of those guys, are, well, Damian Harris not so much, but Sonny Michelle, I don't know why I said Mitchell. Michelle is always hurt, always hurt, and he's got a knee problem that's not going away. And then you've got Damian Harris there who's good, but I think Ramondre Stevenson is just as good as Damian Harris. And they drafted him in, I think it was the third round, that's that's some decent draft capital. That's pretty much where Damian Harris was drafted. So I think that they plan on using him. 
So I, I like Ramondre Stevenson. I think he'll have a better chance at opportunity than Elijah Mitchell does. So that's somebody I would take. And he's being drafted at 37. Then at 33, we've got Chuba Hubbard. I understand it just because he's somebody that can hit long runs and he's a guy who's behind Christian McCaffrey who gets mad work. But I still think that's too high. Hunter Long in Miami at 34. I think that's too high too. Tutu Atwell. That's <laughs> he's only be he's only being drafted because the Rams took him in the second round. That's the only reason that Tutu Atwell is being drafted. That was a horrible pick. I don't even know when he's going to see the field. And he's not even he's 140 something pounds. So no thanks on Tutu Atwell at 35. Seth Williams at 36 is in Denver. No thank you there either. And then like I said 37 was Ramondre Stevenson. Now Brevin Jordan at 38, that's a really good value. He's really close to being undrafted and in some leagues he is undrafted like 10 team leagues so brevin jordan is somebody to definitely keep an eye on because he was my second ranked for fantasy purposes second ranked tight end in this draft class after kyle pitts and then i had friar muth at three i had them in the same tier with kyle pitts obviously in his own tier but i had brevin jordan higher than friar muth because he's not as good of a blocker as friar muth is and i thought he would get more work as a receiver so obviously that would be better for fantasy purposes. He's also in a situation now in Houston where there's not that many good established people, so he'll have an opportunity. I don't think he should be going borderline undrafted like he is right now or in the fourth round. I think he's a third-round player for sure, so keep your eye on Brevin Jordan. Shai Smith, because, because Robbie Anderson is going to be gone probably after this year, Shai Smith is actually a pretty good pick there. He could be the wide receiver three for sure in Carolina. But then you have to question, you know, how good is the wide receiver three going to be in Carolina when they also throw a lot to Christian McCaffrey? Probably not that great. So that's why I love Terrace Marshall because he's going to become the wide receiver two. Shai Smith will probably be the wide receiver three. Tamori and Terry, no, no thank you. Once again, like just getting drafted high because of the fact that he was drafted by Seattle, I guess. Um, so no thanks on Tamori and Terry. Kylan Hill, not interested. Josh Palmer went to the Chargers. I was not a huge Josh Palmer guy, so I'm not very interested in that. Although I understand people are like, oh, he's with Justin Herbert. And, you know, Hunter Henry's gone. Mike Williams is going to be gone because he's on his last year. So Josh Palmer could become like the wide receiver too. I don't see it happening. I don't think he's that good. But... You know, I, I could definitely be wrong. We'll wait and see. Des Fitzpatrick, I like at 43. I got to be honest, and I feel like I actually this happened to a lot of people, but when they drafted, when the Titans drafted Des Fitzpatrick, I was like, who is that? Who is Des Fitzpatrick? Like, what? But then I looked him up, you know, right before the podcast, just watched a little bit and read a little bit, and I think he's got a decent opportunity there. So at 43, in 10 teams leagues, that's undrafted. And a lot of times, like when we're in the back end of the 30s and 40s range, like ADP madly differs from draft to draft. So a lot of these guys that I'm naming that are like on average getting drafted in the fourth round are going to be undrafted in your league. So just know that all these guys are possible free agents you could be picking up. So that's Des Fitzpatrick with Titans. I think it's pretty good. And then we've got a nice back-to-back right here at 44 and 45. Daz Newsome in Chicago, future wide receiver two if Allen Robinson stays, future wide receiver one if he leaves. Daz Newsome 
with Justin Fields. And then Amir Smith-Marset, you guys know I love both these guys, in Minnesota at 45. Both of these guys are borderline undrafted, undrafted in probably more than 50% of leagues, at least for Marset. Daz Newsom's probably close to that. But these guys are, are guys I love. And because I know I can get these wide receivers later on, sometimes that helps me with a tiebreaker between, for example, um, a Najee Harris or Jamar Chase. If I'm trying to make a decision, I'll be like, you know, maybe if I take Jamar Chase, that's fine because there's a lot of wide receivers I like deeper in this rookie draft class. Just an example there. But both of those guys have great opportunities. Both of them are probably going to be the wide receiver two in their offense this year. Or, sorry, next year. Um, and then, because Amir Smith-Marset is probably going to take over after Adam Thielen leaves. And Daz Newsom is behind A-Rob and Darnell Mooney. Next year, he'll probably be the two and then develop into the one later on if A-Rob leaves. But those are those guys at 44-45. Then 46 Tommy Tremble, tight end, went to Carolina. There's so many mouths there at Carolina that are better than Tommy Tremble that I think it's going to be hard for him to break out. But it's a nice landing spot for him. And it was a good draft pick, but not very interested for fantasy purposes. Cornell Powell, wide receiver that went to Kansas City. Of course, people are going to be drafting this guy because he's with Mahomes. And, you know, you never want to lose out on the opportunity to have the next really good wide receiver for an elite quarterback. But not a huge Cornell Powell guy. And then lastly, at 48, because we're doing four rounds for 12-team leagues, is Larry Roundtree. I think he has a very good opportunity for the Chargers to become the number two behind Austin Eckler. He's got some good physical traits, good size, good strength, power. He's somebody I like. So to finish off like as Mr. Irrelevant in a rookie draft, that's a pretty good pick. Now let's talk about my favorite undrafted guys that got two for you. One, Javian Hawkins. You kidding me? This guy could be the starting running back for the Falcons. And then Trey McKitty who is the tight end replacement in LA. And he was taken in the third round. He was more graded as like a fifth round, sixth round prospect. Some some sites, like the Draft Network, wasn't even sure if he was going to get drafted. Yet he got drafted in the third round. And I told you guys, this guy's physical traits and his untapped potential is immense. And now we're going to get to see it with Justin Herbert. It's a great landing spot, replacing Hunter Henry. And he's part of the reason why I'm not a huge Josh Palmer guy. I think it's more likely Trey McKitty becomes relevant than Josh Palmer does. So those are basically my thoughts on all the guys going in order in the rookie draft. Some of my favorite picks, you know them. Some of the picks I think are huge reaches, you know them. So those that are in lease with me, please don't use it against me. I know some of you will, but have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening in. Hope to talk to you next week. Have a good one. Peace. What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at DeepDiveFF. Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content.